It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 42. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. We're talking gopher football this time with two of the most respected reporters who cover the program. A reporter's roundtable, if you will. From the St. Paul Pioneer Press, it's the talented Andy Greeter. And from GophersGuru.com, it's the great Daniel House. We'll get their thoughts on the whiteout game in Happy Valley, the upcoming game against Rutgers, the key for the Gophers to turn this around, the Big Ten West, and more. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone, and True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. Get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life. Life's work. Again, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. Our thanks to Brian Slipka for all the great work he does in helping with the Gophers. The Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm is also partnered with Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, making it easier with local financial experts available to help in person or virtually. They also have the top-ranked mobile app. Learn more at affinityplus.org slash gophers. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. Tony's a big gopher football fan. I invite you to subscribe to our podcast. It's free to listen at any time. Click the subscribe button. You can go back and listen to past podcasts as well. That includes last week's show. We talked with gopher safety Tyler Newman and gopher women's hockey coach Brad Frost, one of the great episodes we've had so far on the podcast. This week, though, we're talking gopher football once again. It's the Go Gopher Podcast, episode 42, with Andy Greeter and Daniel House. But first... A word from Tony. Hey, Gopher fans. This is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital for everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900 or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Uma, go Gophers. Want to talk for a minute quickly here about one of our great partners. Affinity Plus is your local credit union proudly serving Minnesota since 1930, and they do great things for the community, which means we're proud to talk about them here on the Go Gopher podcast. If you're a current Gopher student or a proud Gopher alum, you are eligible to join this financial that wants to build a meaningful banking relationship and put you first. Meet with a local employee at any of their branches statewide, including right near campus on University in Minneapolis. You can learn more or find out other ways to connect by going to affinityplus.org slash go gophers. That's affinityplus.org slash go gophers. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA. It's episode 42 of the Go Gopher podcast, and we're thrilled to bring with you two guys who cover the Gopher football program in depth Andy Greeter from the Pioneer Press. Andy, good to see you. Good to see you, Mike. And we have Daniel House, the Gopher Guru at gophersguru.com. And Daniel, good to see you. 
Grimmer, good to see you, man. You guys are return visitors to the podcast, so our audience uh, hopefully familiar with uh, not only the great work you do, but the fact that uh, you are willing, and we appreciate it to come on and, and share some insight. Uh, Andy, you were out at State College on Saturday, so we've got a lot to talk about. We'll talk about that game. We'll look ahead. Rutgers is, you know, in the category now. If you you know you want to you know circle back and make sure that um, you get a win this weekend, just to get that good taste in your mouth, and then you go into the month of November with some more winnable games. But let's uh, go back. Um, your impressions of the whiteout, I guess, just to start, uh, what would you think of that night? Yeah, I felt like it was, uh, you know, just an impressive uh, showing in college football, man. I think it's just one of the great environments of the game to have 109,000 people all wearing the same color. Um, I felt like, you know, especially for that first drive for the Gophers, it was it was probably the loudest it had been. I felt like they were very opinionated, too. I mean, Sean Clifford was was getting booed during that game, especially early. They didn't have any sort of you know, wait and see approach with how they feel about Sean Clifford. I felt like it was, it was fun to be there. It's fun to be in a, in a, have a night game with the fireworks and the 109,000 and, and just kind of being there for the pageantry of the game that we love so much to be in, in one of those environments was really cool. Yeah. And, and Garzi, our sideline guy, talked about how loud it was down there and it was certainly loud. Uh, and it seems that there, that was certainly part of the reason the Gophers had some struggles early with penalties, which puts them behind the sticks quite a bit yeah no doubt I think you know they had it was funny because it seemed like they were talking out of both sides of their mouth a little bit it sounds like they were talking about how it was you know kind of the crowd noise and then they also kind of not so veiled ways talked about how uh, Penn State might have been simulating their clap snap count and and then you know they also say that it was on them for not being disciplined enough to be able to do it but um, yeah when it happens five times it's certainly uh, an endemic issue that they had and and just given how limited this offense was getting behind the sticks like that was very very damaging were you surprised given the situation obviously they had a redshirt freshman making his first start talented freshman uh you know i think we've all seen him we saw him in the spring game good arm good legs just need some experience and we'll see where it goes no guarantees uh but were you surprised with uh, with how the game unfolded at 45 17 the final yeah, certainly. I think when you look at just what we've come to expect from this Gophers defense, you know, we expect them to be sound fundamentally, uh, be able to keep it in front of them. Um, and we've seen major breakdowns there with missed assignments that are just so uncharacteristic, missed tackles, you know, blown coverages, uh, just getting beat routinely. I think that was maybe the surprising part. I don't think losing at Happy Valley uh, is surprising. You know, they went in as an underdog. Penn State was a ranked team. Um, but just in the fashion that they were able to do it. And I think that's concerning for the Gophers just because it's been different reasons each week. You know, Purdue was the running game. You know, Illinois was not being able to get off the field defensively, but keeping it in front of them for the most part. And then the passing game evaporated. And then in this game, it was, you know, kind of the offense struggling kind of overall and the defense has given up massive plays. So it's just been different categories of reasons for their losses. Yeah, I thought too it was um, late, especially once the game maybe was was not in doubt anymore. The the um, the energy was zapped, and then mental mistakes started coming in. Uncovered receivers lining up on the wrong side, um, not getting a timeout when you needed a timeout when when nobody was covering a receiver. And Penn State, I thought, did a good job of identifying that and hustling up. I um, mean, that play, that touchdown was scored so quickly, I was actually looking down at my spotting board from the previous play still, and all of a sudden I, I hear the crowd 
go nuts, and I look up and the guy's catching a touchdown pass. I, uh, you know, and that had, does not happen very often. So they were quick in, in terms of where I'm just not even watching. Uh, so they were quick to identify and quick to get that playoff. And and as as you mentioned, they they schemed a few things. But I thought that was a little discouraging late. Was that uh, the wheels came off a little bit, and we haven't seen, quite frankly, even in in some of the leaner times. And, and PJ's had a lot of up times, but in in the Fleck era, we've not seen the wheels kind of go off the way they they did there for maybe a 10 or 12 minute span yeah no doubt i mean yeah certainly in that third quarter you know uh carl anderson who we know go for his assistant sid had a stat that he was keeping for a while of of keeping opponents underneath 10 points and they had reached 69 quarters right and that was more than i think almost double what cincinnati had done uh in an ongoing streak and you know that was broken out once but twice in that game right you know and i think the third quarter you talked about kind of the wheels coming off. I think that, you know, obviously when, when you have that interception, uh, when you're down, was it 24-10 at that point, and then they score again, then, yeah, obviously then it's just given how, you know, the gopher offense can't get out of first gear, uh, it really seemed like it was over at that point, and then it just kept snowballing from there. All right, Daniel House, uh, you obviously are the film guru as well as the Gophers guru. What uh, what did uh, the film tell you about this one? Just in a uh, the Cliff Notes version to start, and then we'll break it down uh, throughout the Go Gopher podcast. Yeah, I, I thought that Penn State had a good scheme to exploit the middle of the field with Minnesota in cover two. It looked like it's Tampa two with Mariana Sori Marin needing to carry the a vertical route up the seam, and they hit that twice and just tweaked the formation and, and personnel grouping just a bit. The second one in the red zone actually was a cool play design because they had the running back and two receivers sort of stacked uh, toward the boundary. And then the receiver motioned across, swung out, and you had the tight end up the seam. And then the other tight end uh, breaking up at the post and sneaking in right behind Mariano. So they definitely had a plan that they wanted to attack Minnesota in that deep part of the field with them playing that cover two defense. So that was sort of the, the strategy on the explosive plays and then just not getting lined up correctly, which I was surprised PJ didn't call a timeout there, but said today on the radio show, he was talking to somebody about something else to set uh, something else up that he saw. So he couldn't get the timeout called, but that was the thing that I thought as well, you know, as pass rush, they just haven't been able to get a consistent pass rush. And when you're playing as much zone coverage as you are, you have to be able to win up front. And that was a difference last year. They won matchups along the defensive line rushing three or four and now this year that's been more of a struggle they're averaging like nine pressures a game over the past three weeks so definitely got to get better on the, with the pass rush you mentioned that middle of the field the tight ends and in penn state scheming up uh, the tight ends you know it was funny reading up on this game uh each week you know you, you i do and I, I know many do i'll go into the opposition's uh you know the newspapers go into the internet read some articles so i have some background on them and almost all of them were complaining i mean to read the articles you think penn state was one and five they were really not thrilled with mm-hmm. that blowout loss at michigan but they all said um that the most talented group on offense is is probably the tight ends. You got to get the tight ends involved, and they sure did. Like Theo Johnson was like what a four star recruit. He had two catches all year, and he has a couple of touchdowns. And I actually think they missed. I, I think the stat people missed. I think they misidentified. I think three different tight ends caught passes, but um, I think they only had two in the stats. But anyway, the point being, um, Mariano has been on this podcast many times. We love him. He's a hard hitting linebacker, smart guy. Been in um, the, usually the right spot at the right time. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like that was you know if there is maybe one. One weakness in his game, it's getting deep enough on a drop. And was that the design of that play was to try to take advantage of, of him trying to cover a tight end on a longer route? 
Yeah, that's definitely what they were trying to do. But I also thought that like maybe there was communication breakdown somewhere too, because it's like very tough for us to know like what sure. the the assignment is overall. But it's definitely clear that that was something that they saw in film with the the coverages that Minnesota was playing. They felt like they could hit that middle of the field. You know, Mariano uh, played very well the first part of the first part of that game. I thought the defense. It was just strange how that that all went down because it was ten to three late in the second quarter. I thought they played the run well. They were relatively disciplined. Uh, it, there just wasn't a lot of breakdown until you hit that patch in the game where it just sort of all fell apart. And there's some people asking me, they're going, well, they played 86 plays in the previous game. Like how do teams do in the next week after they're on the field a lot? I actually looked at it and I was surprised because it was like 51% of the time team wins the next game uh, when their defense is on the field for 86 or more plays. So really it's 50-50 and they're giving up, I think it was about 28 points a game. Uh, those FBS teams that do that. So fatigue kind of makes people play average the next week, it looks like. But you, you can definitely – it just felt like the defense might have been just a step slow as that game progressed, especially as the offense was unable to really sustain anything. That's a big deal when the offense is off the field so fast and then the defense is trying to, to play so much. You can't make as many adjustments either because – you know, you're getting to the sideline, the offense is out on the field for a couple of minutes, and then you're going right back out there. So that's why I think maybe sometimes the adjustments aren't as sharp because the offense can't sustain drives right now. Yeah, and the, and certainly then those on the offense between the penalties, and then I thought early uh, uh, maybe a game plan that they knew. Look, they watched the week before Michigan just run all over Penn State, like, like record-setting, uh, you know, two guys over 160 yards or whatever it was, and I'm sure they mm-hmm. thought, look, uh, that's a great opportunity for Ibrahim and, and try to get that offensive line going, and Mo did end up with his 100 yards, but um, it wasn't like it, like, you know, look, Michigan might have the best offensive line in the country. I don't know, but they, they've got some some good players up there. And um, Andy, I know you, you actually asked PJ this week at his press conference uh, about maybe that early strategy where, you know, it was a lot of handoffs. And um, I, I was maybe a little surprised too. What, what, what was your take there in terms of, of early on uh, maybe a lack of aggression there? And I get it. They were starting a guy who never started a game at quarterback before. Um, but um, man, you were asking that running game to really do a lot. Uh, I thought. Yeah, you know, when you ever, whenever you say the word conservative, it's used like a, or it's viewed as a pejorative, right? And yeah. I think that's that's really how uh, PJ kind of takes it. But I think the real idea was to kind of let Ethan kind of work his way into the game a little bit, right? I think you can't forget the fact that, like we talked about, he's a redshirt freshman in his first career start, and it's in that environment. You want to be able to kind of give him a, a platform to take a breath and kind of work his way into the game. And I understood that, especially early, but I think the drive that was really problematic is is once they get that interception by Justin Wally and are able to get that big return and you're setting up inside the red zone. And just to be conservative at that time, knowing that you know you probably have three points regardless to not – be a little bit more um, attacking uh, downfield a little bit, especially on third down. I felt like there was opportunities there to to really try to go for it because you know that you have to capitalize on those possessions and get seven just knowing uh, what the what the offense was. So I think you saw as they got behind that they were a little bit more willing to, to take shots and you saw him have some success and you saw the potential that he has. But mm-hmm. I think especially early they were they were guarded. Uh, I won't use the, the the other c word. But, yeah, uh, no, coach. 
coaches <laughs> coaches do take offense to that when you say conservative. But I, I I thought one of the keys to the game. I thought two things offensively for Minnesota was uh, Kaliak Manis is is a better runner. He's just faster and more mobile than than Tanner. So you had to take advantage of that, and there were times he did. Um, and and I think as he plays more, depending if it's this year or next year, he'll learn. I, I even thought he slid early, like he could have had another fifteen yards if he turns the corner on one of those plays, and uh, he's capable of doing that. So th- they took advantage of some things there where he could run, but I thought the other thing is you can't settle for field goals against those guys when you get in the red zone, and that's true every week, but I thought especially true in a game like that. you got to score touchdowns, um, but it was clear they wanted the three. Daniel, what was your thought uh, on that early uh, strategy? Yeah, I was surprised they didn't take at least one shot at the end zone, but you know, the first two plays ran, and I think it was a false start after that, and then you know, you're way behind the stick. So you're going, I don't want to make a mistake here. Just take three. So it was kind of set up by the first couple of plays there where they weren't able to get any yardage running the ball. And then it sort of killed their strategy, you know, in the next, in the last play there in the sequence. But, you know, I felt coming into that game that starting fast would be the key. You look at all these games, especially in those type of environments, you got to come in and assert yourself. And that's been a problem the last three games, just not being able to get off to that swift start, take control of the lead, sort of have that flow. That's the difference. I think when you watch the Gophers play from ahead versus behind, there seems to be their style of play is suited to getting off to fast starts, and it's definitely supported based on how they've played, not just now, but in the past. Yeah, I, I saw a stat in the NFL game, uh, the Kyle Shanahan team, that they, they like ball control too, and when they um, when, when they play with the lead, they win, and this shouldn't be a big surprise. I think generally the trends are this way, but there are certain strategies or certain uh, you know uh, philosophies where it's uh, it's hard to be a comeback team over the years and you, you know or over the course of a season if if you um, are, are you know, trying to implement the way the Gophers implement. So fast starts are key, and we'll get into this weekend and how important that's probably going to be as well against, I think, a pretty decent Rutgers defense. It'll be interesting to see mm-hmm. what, what this offense can do and who the quarterback might be um, as the week goes on. We may be. Well, it's unlikely we'll hear more about it until, until before kickoff as they guard those injuries. And I think in certain cases it's smart. You know, we kind of roll our eyes sometimes on how, and not just P.J. Fleck, but all coaches guard injuries. But I do think there is likely when it comes to the quarterback situation there there could be some competitive advantages if you keep that secret if there's a way to do that but um, generally I, I think it's probably overrated a little bit but in this case you understand it anyway point being um, it, it, yeah this is a this is a philosophy that you you want to be out front right I mean the, the the numbers must overwhelmingly show that I would think Andy yeah no doubt I mean house is the numbers guy but I mean, yeah. DJ talked about <laughs> the fact of you know hey they're not built for shootouts he said that you know, in Happy Valley. And that's just so painfully obvious without Chris Ottman Bell and without Dalen Wright. I think, you know, Mo is is a great running back, but he's also not known for the home run. So when you have that aspect to who they are and then you take away, you know, an experienced quarterback, um, I think you, you certainly see that. I think PJ was uh, on the radio show today with you guys talking about kind of the trestle ball that he prides himself on, right? And how that can really work when you have athletes like you do at Ohio State uh, because you're always going to be playing ahead. But I think you need to have more talent. You need to have more game breakers. You need to have more deep threats. You need to be able to keep people from stacking the box, which I think Rutgers is going to do again. I think that's that's going to be shown again um, here this week. So, yeah, obviously, when you don't have when you don't have game breakers, when you don't have people to to stretch the field uh, at a playmaking offensive um, pass catcher perspective, 
then you're able to see how they get one dimensional and that's how they, they struggle. And, and that's why they're uh, on the losing side like they have been. Yeah, and it, look, over the course of the last several years, it's worked more than it's not, but it gets, right. like anything, right? It gets frustrating when it doesn't work or it's hard to come from behind, and they just haven't had a lot of passing attack to where you feel good, like if it's a 20-13 to 13 game, like, oh, they got to put an 80-yard drive together in two minutes. Um, you know, at this point, uh, and not to say they can't do it, I think they can, but it, um, you know, the, the confidence level isn't like, you know, probably can't feel great about the, the chances there. Um, and then, as we mentioned, the quarterback situation certainly can play a role in that. Daniel, if they continue to stack the box, what, what are the, what's the answer for the Gophers uh, from, from you know to try to get stuff going that way? they got to be able to set up some rubs, picks, different things. I thought they actually found some stuff at the end of the game there. They ran that mesh wheel to Bryce Williams. It got 19 yards. And then Actually, pretty cool play design, angle route to Brevin span four. They had the shallow cross over the middle, vertical route, cleared out, swing pass, sort of influenced some defenders and set up leverage for span four to made a play in the second level, hurdle on a defender. I think you just got to get Brevin span forward as many touches as possible because he just makes plays when you give him a chance to. And it comes down to also having to be able to win vertically a bit. You saw Lamecki Brockington make the catch on that goal ball down the sideline, got his foot in. Uh, I thought he showed some flashes. He's He can get open, uh, has some good releases at the line. I, I liked him in fall camp as well and thought yeah, he was sort of easing his way back. He, he had battled injuries, you know, seems like he hit that roadblock a couple of times. But now that he's started to get some more reps, it's it comes to a point now where I think you get him in the game as much as possible to see what you have because he gives you something uh, to get open and create separation uh, against man coverage. So that's what I would say is just trying to be able to stretch people vertically. What did you see when you watched the game back in Ethan Kaliak Manis in his first start in a tough spot? I think you look yeah. statistically and you're like, oh, it wasn't, you know, boy, that that's not very good. But you, you talked about other things already that maybe impacted those stats. But what was your assessment just of, of, of what you saw from him? Yeah, I thought he did well for getting behind the sticks as much as they were and not being in favorable down and distance situations like the drive right before the half, being able to use his legs in the zone read game. He scrambled, got some yardage, threw the ball downfield to Brockington with good touch, got the ball in there. Um, I also think that like this was about the biggest challenge he could have faced going into that environment and playing against a Manny Diaz defense that loves to mix things up. I mean, they're the split field coverages that he's shown in the past and the blitz looks that you're going to get every week, different ones throwing at you. And you got all that crowd noise and trying to manage that in your first start. So it was a big challenge. And you know that like raising the bar now for him is like, here's where you're playing at at white out. This is the <laughs> expectation level in his mind now. So when he plays another game, it's like, okay, this feels a little better to me because I can actually communicate and talk to people and set things up. Uh, but you know, I knew coming into that week that would be a big challenge against Diaz. I mean, that's that's an aggressive defense that uh, is going to change the picture a lot. And I thought he handled it relatively well, considering the the circumstances of all those pre-snap penalties. Yeah, and you think about you know you go into that situation. I think one of the things that, that you forget about is okay. So he got most of the one reps during the week, and they played loud music and they waved towels and all of that, and that that's that's good prep. But it's still when you're going against the scout team. Uh, all week. Yeah. That's different than when you're going against guys that are, um, you know, and those scout team players can eventually become really good Big Ten players. And in fact, I don't know about the Gophers, but there are, 
there are certain times where the scout teams are told, hey, we're half speed because we want to build some confidence here and there. And then all of a sudden you're going against, you know, Penn State in front of 110,000. And when you drop back to pass, it's not the scout team anymore, right? Yeah, and you're playing against one of the best secondaries in college football, Joey Porter Jr., first-round pick. Like, there are a lot of variables in this game where, you know, it's the talent level, it's the scheme that you're going against, the environment, and then you have getting behind the sticks with all those pre-snap penalties and then not being able to run the ball consistently and get people out of the box. I mean, I thought, you know, it, it came, I just felt like there was a moment where maybe this thing's going to click. It, right before the half, you felt the spark, you get the ball at a halftime, and then it just sort of, they could never really take that next step. It, it was an odd game because the defense, for the most part, early on, I thought, oh, the defense is, is playing very well. And then just uncharacteristic breakdowns just come out of nowhere. And that's been the case, Grim. We talked about it the other day. These last three games has been sort of different themes in each of them where Purdue, I thought it was like four or five execution plays. And then the the uh, Illinois game, it was like great scheme from the Illini. You know, it, the offense just really couldn't get anything going. And then this last game, it was explosive plays from the defense where it was like four or five plays on that side of the ball. Again, that led to scoring uh, opportunities for Penn State. So it, it, now you just got to try to figure out how do you put all these pieces together to get something that is consistent where you play complimentary football in all three phases because that's the way Minnesota's built to win. Yeah, uh, one final one on eighth, and I know you also, in, in addition to your film breakdowns, evaluate some talent. So I mentioned this to PJ on the coaches show today. Um, if I if I figured it right uh, on the one pass to Chris uh, or to uh, Mike Brown Stevens, uh, I think he threw that. It was between fifty four and fifty nine yards in the air, pretty much off his back foot with a guy barreling down on him, and it was just a flick of the wrist. And he also on some of those slants, uh, and he and he ran well. How would you just in terms of talent evaluation? What did you think of him when you watched his high school film and then how do you think he's progressed to the point he is now and where do you think the um, you know where do you think the future is when you watch his skill set the ability to make all three level throws on high school film was apparent it was like okay now it's just mechanics processing getting into the offense uh, developing up and when we went to practices early on it was more like okay this guy's getting thrown into the fire making mistakes throwing interceptions you know just not putting the ball in the right spot, timing issues, those types of things. And then I started to go to practices where this fall, this spring, then into the fall, I saw more and more consistency where it was like, okay, he's looking more comfortable. He's going through the progression. He's, he's making the throw. He's delivering it with accuracy, you know, not missing on balls high. Like he's definitely made a lot of growth just mechanically processing wise. And that's what you want to see from a quarterback that has the, the arm talent and all the skills get into the system here, work with Kirk Shiraka, build up all those detail things that will make the big difference and improve his consistency. And now it's like, okay, you definitely see the future upside. And I don't even think that he's scratched the surface on what he can do yet. And, schematically how they can maybe build some things around what he does best and also uh, try to get receivers open 
when teams are scheming against them with uh, all that man coverage. Yeah, and, and you know, long-term future, the, the offense could change a little bit based on yep. uh, on, on what kind of skill set he has from what we have seen. And and now I've had a few golfer fans in the last few days, Andy asked me, you know, well, what, what would you do if you were a PJ even if Tanner Morgan is cleared to play? And I don't have the answer, and I almost don't want to comment on it, but you're a media guy, so I want to hear what you think. Um, let's, let's just for the fun of the discussions, if it's not this week, it would I would think have to be next week that Tanner would be cleared. Um, what, what you know? What would your future approach be if you were uh, running this program? Yeah. Um, well, if I was running the program, that's a different thing. But I think <laughs> I think what's more important is is how PJ is going to handle it, right? And I think everybody knows the answer, and it's probably not something that the people that look to the future want to hear, right? He's been extremely loyal to Tanner Morgan throughout his time, and I don't see that changing. He's the guy that's the winningest quarterback in, in Gopher football history. Uh, he's earned the spot at times to, to be in that role, and I don't see that changing. Right. I think it, Tanner will get the opportunity uh, whenever he is he is ready to go to, to take over as, as the starting quarterback here. I think that's what P.J. is going to do. I think when you look at Ethan, just based on when he came in against Illinois, he was frazzled in that game. He fumbled the first snap and was able to, to get it and get the first down. He threw a couple of picks. He did not seem very comfortable back there. I think the benefit of, of a week and knowing that you're the guy uh, really helped him. I think it's going to be the type of game that we're going to be talking about years to come, I believe. Because obviously next year he's going to be the guy. Tanner Morgan, for all the jokes that are out there, doesn't have any eligibility left. He's done. I know that everyone loves to joke about that at, at every juncture. It's you know it's it's the easy uh, low hanging fruit. But I think just the poise that he had, like we like we talked about, I think, um, and just also hearing within the program from players. I know Coney Durr had a moment earlier this year when he talked about what he was able to do. And I think I asked Jordan Howden or, or somebody else about what Ethan was doing as a, as a true freshman last year and kind of being, and, and last year's go for defense was, was lights out, you know, mm-hmm. one of the top in the nation. And he was, uh, you know, making throws that were startling uh, that defense. So I think you, you've seen those moments, but I think, as we go forward with with Ethan, uh, the Penn State game is certainly one we're going to look back on and and say, yeah, we could we could see it. He was able to build on it, like Hal said. You know that next environment when they go to Nebraska next week, if hypothetically he plays in that one, uh, while it's a good environment, it won't be what the whiteout was. So I think you'll be able to kind of settle back in and, and understand that that he's been there and, and done it at a certain degree. Now that said, I think Garzi said he still thinks the Nebraska game in 2017 was louder on the sidelines when they were 0 and 6 than um, than the whiteout, which he still is impressed. And that was an impressive showing. Like everyone was upset that they were 0 and 6, but man, when that kickoff went, they were all behind their team at that point. That was that seems like a million years ago. But um, so it could be that he has some uh, some tough uh, you know crowd noise there. But uh, so I guess then the question is: so if if it is Tanner Morgan going forward, and I'm not going to argue with that. We love Tanner, and he's won a lot of games more than anybody. Um, would there be a situation, Daniel, you'd foresee maybe a sub pack? Where you know uh, the young man Ethan Kaliak Manis gets a series or two in a game. Yeah, maybe it is if you're ahead or something like that. But I stylistically, I don't see them pulling Tanner out to put Ethan in. It's more like the the Cole Kramer package at the Wildcat because of his athleticism. But yeah, I think they probably roll with Tanner moving forward, and then 
you know, next year, it's just a good experience for Ethan to get that start when he had the opportunity to, like we said, you know, now he can sort of figure out where he's at, where he can get better, learn from that, and then next year be ready to go for, you know, being the starter. So the question next is, where do they go from here, whether it's uh, whether Tanner's, uh, you know, cleared this week or not? Mm-hmm. You've got Rutgers. And um, despite, you know, look, three-game losing streak, PJ's talked about it. No one's happy with kind of where they're at at 4-3. and three. I On October 1st, when that game kicked off with Purdue, if you just said they'll be 4-3 and three heading into Rutgers, I don't think any of the three of us would have said, um, you know, that, that would have probably, of all the options, you know, 4-3, 5-2, whatever, that would have been the least likely, but that's where they are. Um, but that said, um, I, I and, and I get it. Fans, you know, they, you know, they are mad. They're upset. Uh, you know, the team didn't play well. The wheels fell off for a ten-minute stretch. All that stuff. Um, they're still th- th- look. The West is likely off the table. Like you'd have to have so much weird stuff happen. So, and PJ even said that right to you guys in the post game. Like we're not worried about the West. Just win the next game and win the next game. Uh, there's still a possibility this could be a special season. You've got two trophies to play for. I know in the news conferences today they were, um, you know, people were asking about, you know, what's left what's the motivation i was surprised neither player said you've got floyd of rosedale and and paul bunyan's axe which to me maybe that's fans maybe players don't care but to me those are the two biggies that are left if you win those two and and you win another couple uh all of a sudden you're eight and four or nine and three with those two trophies and obviously nothing's guaranteed but there's still some stuff to play for here andy if you're a if you're a football player on the golden gopher team yeah, I mean, no doubt. I mean, they're obviously never going to say that, just given how they're how <laughs> week they to week talk about. Yeah, week to week and championship weeks, they're not going to come out and say, "Oh, there's you know the axe and the pig yet." You know, and yeah, look five at, and six weeks from now. Yeah, yeah, that would uh, they wouldn't be speaking to us again if that's if they were to say something like that. Um, yeah, for sure. I think even even just this next week, there's there's a ton to play for in that. You know, I just think about. You know, games that stick with me when I used to play, it would be the losses to teams that you should have beaten that stick with you more than the wins that you get in the big moments. Right. I think it's the opportunities lost uh, in those games when when you know that you're a better team than than what you show up to provide. Right. I'm sure Bowling Green and, and Illinois stick with this with the veterans on this team more than, you know, winning the ax last year. I think it's just, that's just human nature. That's just how it works. And I think you kind of got that perspective from Thomas Rush today about kind of knowing that, that it's, it's about right the here and now. And I think it was interesting, you know, uh, Thomas had something about uh, the gopher uh, football playoff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was very interesting. Right. So they're willing to look ahead when, when it's, when it's a big picture kind of thing and say, Hey, we've got five championships to, to play for here. And obviously it's kind of a continuation of the same line of thinking, but it's also a, a big picture thing. Like, Hey, you know, if we're able to, to win the most of those, then I think it's a quality season yet here for the Gophers. So I think there's certainly still a lot to play for and they're a two touchdown favorite and, and you know, losing that type of opportunity would would stick with them more than than uh, taking care of business and, and losing or winning another one later. Yeah, Daniel, there's five games left, and Andy mentioned that mm-hmm. uh, Thomas Rush mentioned they're, they they've kind of played it as a college. They, I think they've turned with the Gopher football playoff, hoping to you know win win the rest of those. What are the chances that this team can win out from what you've seen the last three weeks? Yeah, I mean, they just have to clean some things up defensively, get more of a pass rush, uh, continue to get better in the passing game. I mean, I thought, you know, like like said, Lamecki Brockington getting some reps in the passing game. It sounds like, uh, you know, they're still trying to come up with some ways. P.J. even mentioned it after the game, just sort of 
reevaluating everything, coming up with some ideas that they could potentially incorporate in on both sides of the ball. So I'm interested to see as they sort of reset here after this game, what is new? How do they tweak things? Uh, defensively, I think it comes down to they've been not so great on second down the last three games. They've had a 52% success rate allowed on second down, but they've been really good on first down. So a lot of those situations have been long down. Their average to go distance opponents on third down is about eight yards right now. So <laughs> there hasn't been an issue on first down. It's been you know picking apart those soft spots in the zone and get popping off some big runs on second down when, when they've done some good things on first down. So those are the areas that I would say are key to fix. And when you look at the opponents, I mean, Wisconsin seems to be clicking a lot better with Jim Leonard sort of giving Bobby Ingram the keys on offense and saying, all right, let's open this thing up a little more. Let's have some creativity, especially on like first and second down where they're not running the ball maybe nearly as much. And then trying to, you know, sort of modernize just in a, a little bit offensively as much as you can during the middle of the season. So like Wisconsin, for me, of the remaining opponents is the one that I'm like, OK, going down to Madison. Jim Leonard's got that thing going. They have to play a very good game, but they should be favored in all the rest of the remaining games other than Wisconsin, I think. Yeah. Go ahead, Andy. The uh, I know that there's uh, the over under for Northwestern Iowa that might set a record low for for what that oh is. I wonder what the over under for what we've seen with the Gopher offense and the Iowa offense could yeah. be in a couple of weeks. Uh, what that might be in that one. I thought it was interesting. Just on a quick aside, what Pat Fitzgerald said about the game time for that game. He said, "I was asking the Big Ten to play it at six a.m." <laughs> that's I love pretty that good. Guy. That's yeah, he's he's great. He, yeah. he uh, he's certainly able to be self-deprecating uh, with it. Yeah, I mean, you talked about Nebraska, right? I mean, you want to talk about an interim coach and a team that's playing yeah. better and and a road environment. I think Nebraska. Uh, you know, for a few sure. weeks ago, you just had you know chalk that up or write it in pencil for W, and I think it's much more in the maybe column, just given how they've played better and, and you talk about the environment that they have in Lincoln so regularly. Uh, and Daniel, I wanted to ask you: the Gophers are so efficient offensively. Here we're talking. You know, Andy just mentioned what the over/under might be in an Iowa North, or I'm in a Minnesota Iowa, or a Northwestern Minnesota, um, and a Minnesota Iowa. Um, and yeah. I, you know, when when the Gophers are sitting four and zero, coming off Michigan State, no one would have thought, right? How surprised, Daniel, are you watching what you saw in the first five games? And clearly, the competition level stepped up the last three weeks. That that this thing has kind of derailed a little bit offensively. For for whatever reason. Yeah, I sort of felt like the Chris Amon Bell injury was major because it sort of added a dimension to your team where somebody could get open and attack the football and make those types of plays to sort of have the defense scheme a little bit differently for you. And you went to Michigan State and the defensive back talent and that and for that team is just not very good and played a lot of zone in that game. So they're able to do some of the things that suit the their system very well. So when I look at it, I go, okay, the competition bar raised up and then the schemes were very good by these three teams. I thought all three of them did very creative things that I'm like, wow, everybody found just a little bit different of an approach at this in subtle ways. And so that's what I say is just like some really good coaching against them. And then Minnesota just not being able to make enough winning plays. It's like, I always say four or five plays can kind of define the outcome of the, of the game overall. And that's certainly been the case more so even in the Purdue game. And I felt like, 
you know, Illinois, they just came out with a really good scheme. Like that was very, very impressive what they did on both sides of the ball. So I look at Andy mentioned Nebraska. I think, you know, Rutgers defense right now, you look at the numbers of their defense, their offense has been absolutely horrible at generating explosive plays They're dead last in the FBS and the explosiveness metric, but defensively, a lot of really good things stand out when you watch them play and their pass rush is quite talented. Like uh, th- this, I'm, I'm intrigued by Rutgers defense. Well, given that Andy, how important is this weekend then for Minnesota, if they do want to move on and, and you know, if they can salvage, you know, this look, we all thought they'd get into November and still be in the title chase for the West. And yeah. th- that isn't the case. So, so how important if you want to salvage and have something still to talk about and be special and not, you know, you don't want this to crater crater. Cause then it, you know, now all of a sudden then really there's some crevices. So what do you think how important this weekend, kind of a sneaky, important weekend, I think in the, in the scheme of the whole program no doubt no doubt I think when you look at like like house talked about the last three opponents and and how you know they are either you know one of the leaders in the west or you know the leader in the west and ranked or one of the best teams uh in the east and ranked you're able to you know kind of explain it away and say hey three really good teams uh, we just got beat on the day uh, and kind of look at some of the the details that they talk about and the execution and the breakdowns and and kind of put it on their own shoulders. I think if you lose to Rutgers, then the dynamic changes, right? Then it's really well. Then there's some real system issues here. There's some real uh, problems with this team with this program. Um, obviously, you know, as a two touchdown favorite, you know, you don't foresee something like that happen. But mm-hmm. in a doomsday scenario. Uh, it would really shatter, I think, a lot of confidence in, in what they're doing and, and where they think they're going. I don't foresee that happening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that just shows how important it is to, to come out with a win, even if it's ugly, even if, you, you know, you're not able to still click on all cylinders to just to just get the job done, get some confidence, you know, kind of cleanse your palate and, and move on. That Rutgers team fell behind 14-0 first quarter to Indiana. And, um, Daniel, I don't know if you've watched much of that game or much of Rutgers. You mentioned you gave us some specifics on defense. Um, mm-hmm. what, 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 uh, they, they have to feel good coming out of a game like that where you're down 14 nothing, and with a limited offense they've had all year somehow get up, you know, generate 24 points to get the win. So what, what do you see from Rutgers? Uh, just give us a little uh, uh, scouting report. Big picture wise, I like their pass rushers. Aaron Lewis is a really good player. Lots of different pass rush moves, quick first step, leads the team with 25 pressures. And then Wesley Bailey, also another pass rusher that's very athletic, gets in the backfield a lot and uses a little speed to power, seems to just constantly create disruption. So I'm watching the two pass rushers and then cornerback Christian Braswell, excellent speed and ball skills, physical can tackle, breaks on the ball quick offensively, like I said, bottom, 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 132 out of all the teams in the FBS or 131 out of 131 in the FBS in uh, explosiveness. Uh, So I look at their offense and go, they're going to try to run the ball. Sam Brown, a freshman for seven missed tackles last week, 89 of his 101 yards came after contact. So he falls forward and you got to wrap up. So they're going to try to run the ball. If you can get them in passing down situations, that's where you want them. Uh, the interior pass pro is a liability. I think Kurt, Curtis Dunlap leads the team uh, in, in pressures allowed. So that's definitely a matchup to watch. Trying to get their interior defensive line uh, in conflict, maybe with some stunts and blitzes and different things. Minnesota, maybe, I think if I did, 
guess on one thing that th- that will change after last week is they'll be slightly more aggressive on second down, maybe with some more man coverage and trying to bring some extra rushers, not even just on second down, but overall being just more aggressive with the, the pressure that they send, because I think that'll be very important. We'll definitely keep an eye on that. All right, so last uh, topic here we want to talk about before we let you two guys go, just generally the Big Ten West. Um, it looks like Illinois is going to win that thing based on their schedule, and they've got a little cushion after Purdue lost. Um, but I wanted to bring up this. I'm looking at it here. Um, uh, this seven-way for Ty uh, Doomsday or whatever. For have you seen? Have you guys seen this? So. There's there's a way that there can be a seven team tie for first place in the Big Ten West. There's actually that way. All seven teams would tie with a conference mark of four and five. Oh man! And the tiebreakers would go to Northwestern, and they would go to the championship game at four and eight overall. They would all tie at four and five. The good news for the Gophers in that scenario is they would beat both Wisconsin and Iowa. And uh-huh. Nebraska. Those would be the three wins they'd get, but they'd have to, in that scenario, lose to uh, Rutgers and Northwestern. Northwestern uh, would have to win three of five. Uh, and so anyway, I'm looking at this thing. That that would, I mean, obviously it's not going to happen because Illinois, I think, has to lose four of five. I don't see that happening the way they have played. But uh, could you imagine Northwestern at four and eight, the Big Ten West champion, heading to Indianapolis yeah. to take on the Buckeyes or the Wolverines? There was a there's a, the athletic reporter Scott Docterman that they're going to keep divisions uh, for next year. Yeah. If that were the scenario, they'd have to revise that. They'd they'd, they'd they have would an have emergency to, they would have to be like, we have got to blow it up. We cannot have this anymore. It's just way too ridiculous. They would have to revise even after the schedule comes out tomorrow. They'd have to yeah. be like. Hey, yeah. we, we we really can't do this. It's just uh, we've become an embarrassment if it reaches that. I've become a bit of a Big Ten West apologist in the sense that everyone who thinks it's terrible um, – the, the, the real equalizer is Ohio State over the years. If Ohio State, if you just simply flip Ohio State to the West, uh, there is no discussion. It, 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 it Because pretty much after Ohio State, it's about 50-50. Like Nebraska's gone to Rutgers and won, and Purdue went to Maryland and won. Like all those middle teams are, you know, it's a 50-50 shot. So I've become a bit of an apologist. But, yeah, even with that, if that somehow is how it turns out, um, you'd have to say uh, blow that thing up for sure. That said, in real life and real scenarios, um, how does Illinois not? I mean, we, we saw them, uh, you know, beat Minnesota. That was out of the three losses, even with Penn State the way it was. That was the one game to me where it looked mm-hmm. like the Gophers didn't, did not have an answer. They just, it was just, you know, look, it was, they just went out and beat them. Um, and that was that. But uh, Illinois has got a little cushion now, a soft schedule outside of the Michigan game. Um, is there a way they won't win this, Andy? Chase, Chase Brown's health. Yeah. I think that's really the big thing, right? I mean, they've been riding him every single week uh, to an extreme level. If he's not able to stay healthy, I think things could really change in that one. I think, you know, in that, in the gopher game, just to go back to that for a second, I mean, if Isaiah Williams and and Tommy DeVito aren't, aren't out there, then obviously that one certainly changes, but um, yeah, I think, I think Chase Brown is maybe the, the difference maker if they're, if he's able to stay healthy with his high workload, um, but if he doesn't, then I think maybe there's some cracks there. Yeah, 42 carries against Minnesota, right? I mean, nuts uh, with, with how much. Um, Daniel, you you had talked about Illinois uh, actually after we had you on after the Purdue game leading into the Illinois game, um, and you mentioned that you liked the way their defense had played. And um, mm-hmm. at this point, you have to pick them, right, to win the West with their position and what they've how they've played. 
Yeah, I agree with Andy, though. Chase Brown's health is the key because he's sort of the catalyst of that offense. And you look at how they built that thing, it's sort of to not only feature him as a rushing attack, but also through the air as well. You saw that as part of their game plan against Minnesota and other times as well. So I look at their coordinators, how they coach, how Brett Bielema approaches the game, being super aggressive with fourth downs, blending in tempo. Like They are playing with the modern mindset of football centered. And then they're also blending in old school principles as well. So it's like the perfect mix of old school and new school offense and I, and defense. And I like that a lot. And I think that's, what's really separated Illinois and the big 10 West is sort of that Brett Bielema is not coaching the way he used to. And I watched Purdue play and it was a classic game where Jeff Brown over coaches. He has like one of those games every year where he's just like on his quarterback and trying to force things. And it just felt like the exact thing that I said, the Jeff Brown over coach game occurred. And I trust Illinois coaching more than, more than uh, Purdue's at this point in Minnesota. I mean, with not having those tiebreakers now losing those two games. I mean, I thought the Purdue loss was more impactful just from a tiebreaker perspective, just because of how the games all shake out and who's left to play each other. So that's what makes it very difficult. Minnesota could get hot here right at the end with the opponents that they're playing, but that tiebreaker could come into play in a big way. Yeah, the only hope would be that you're in a tie with somebody you've beaten, right? Illinois, Minnesota, and somehow Nebraska ties, and you beat Nebraska, then it becomes a divisional thing, and I don't know how that would shake out. Otherwise, you have no, you know, you have no shot. You can't win it outright. I, I mean, well, I suppose mathematically you could, but it'd be, you know, let's be realistic too. You look at these teams, though, you know, PJ's teams, like last year even, you reach this midway point, and this seems to be where they usually find it, where, like, they seem to get better as the season goes on and improve and figure things out. So I want to see after this performance, after these three games against very good teams, how do they respond in a game at home against Rutgers? This is going to be telling about where everything is at and what the landscape could look like as you get ready to go to Nebraska where they're a lot better. They've improved and they got good skill talent at receiver and they're scoring more points and they still aren't very good defensively, but you could get in a situation where you get behind there because they can score points. So, Let's see how they do this week. I think it's going to be a very telling game. Yeah, I mean that could. I mean, if they win that, then it, it pretty much they might have it salted away before you know Halloween on Monday. But um, I saw a tweet today. I, I don't gamble because I don't have any money, and the money I have I like, so I don't want to lose it. Um, that said, I do follow it. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, I saw a tweet today that as recently as two weeks ago, you could get Illinois plus three thousand to win the Big Ten West as recently as two weeks ago. Wow. And I'm, I don't know what it is now. Uh, they didn't say, but that's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, the then you know that would be before they beat Minnesota, mm-hmm. and then before Purdue loses, and before you know, I, I, I don't know what other things had to happen, but um, that would have been something to throw a hundred bucks on if if uh, you know any any of us had it, but uh, we don't. So anyway, it is what it is. But on that note, we'll uh, we'll let it all go. But guys, always appreciate it. Daniel House, GophersGuru.com. Tell us about the service and the uh, web page. You can check it out at gophersguru.com. $5 a month subscription gets you access to the premium content. So like breakdowns, advanced stat stuff, features, uh, just everything that you want for Gopher football or Gopher sports. Awesome. It's a great, great webpage. We appreciate your insight here. And uh, we invite you to go to gophersguru.com. And Andy Greeter, Pioneer Press, how can people see all of your stuff? Uh, Yeah, TwinCities.com. All right. Very good. Awesome. A simple man, Andy Greeter, no doubt. And um, Love it. 
Love it. No doubt. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. My thanks to Andy Greeter from the Pioneer Press and Daniel House from GophersGuru.com. Episode 42 is now in the books, and I hope you enjoyed some of the great insight from two of the best. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit SunbeltMinnesota.com or TNMA.com. We're proud to be supported by Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, your local credit union throughout the state of Minnesota. Go to AffinityPlus.org slash go gophers we're also brought to you by state farm agent tony hoagland again i'd invite you to listen to past podcast and please be sure to subscribe to the go gopher podcast right now it's absolutely free to do so and please share the link on your social media channels so others can listen also we'll talk again next week